to a series we started last week called Simple Christmas. Before we get there, I do want to give you an update on the outreach we've been doing uh, called The Gospel According to Scrooge. We have had um, just uh, two fantastic nights. For the people who've been involved in Scrooge for a long time, and, and also from my perspective as I look around uh, the first two nights, I, I don't remember, and the people that I've talked to can never remember, having such a large crowd on the opening night. And then last night, we were absolutely at capacity, and, um, and, and I think had to turn a, just a few people away, because we, we had sat everywhere we could seat people, and uh, I don't remember ever turning people away on the first weekend. Uh, so we've had an absolute outpouring at Scrooge. It's been wonderful. Uh, last night, I asked the question, as I always do, how many of you have never seen the play? This is your first time to see the Gospel According to Scrooge. And uh, it, it, it looked like to me about 75% of the people in the room, if you can even believe it. Sound man that was there, he said to him it looked like 80%, or whatever. I mean, it was, I was struggling to find in the room people that didn't have their hand up and said, this is the first time I've ever seen this play. So the, the campus was absolutely jammed with people that have never seen the play before. And, uh, and so it's, we've just had a wonderful, wonderful response. Um, so I want, I want to encourage you, um, for those of you who've been serving, uh, to, to my knowledge, we have the largest number of people serving that we've ever had. We have a giant cast and crew, but there's a whole uh, group, groups and groups of other people that aren't in the cast and crew that are serving in different ways. Uh, best we can count, we have about 366 different people serving throughout, throughout these, um, this outreach, which I think is incredible. So if you're serving or not, would you give those who are serving a great big hand and just show them appreciation for what they're doing? We really do appreciate it. It's a, it's a sacrifice and a gift, but we're doing it because we want to make a difference in our community. And so I just want to encourage you, if um, I'll, I'll send you an email this week, as I have the last few weeks with a, with a little video, about two-minute video, and we'll give you some more instructions. But um, if you've seen the play already... Uh, if we come to capacity, I just want to encourage you to be willing to give your seat up for someone who hasn't seen it yet. Um, so uh, have that in the back of your mind, and if we, if we need to do that, I hope that you'll be uh, kind that way and, and let someone who hasn't seen it once rather than someone see it twice. Uh, but thank you for all that you've done to make Scrooge uh, so good this year. And, and it does remind me, too... Um, as we're getting close to the end of the year, we set out uh, to increase our giving by 10% this year because we wanted to take all 10% of that increase and, and uh, use it for outreach, just to enhance a lot of the outreaches we're doing, to do outreaches we've never done. And so we're, we're just over 5% for the year. It's been a great year. Uh, but before the end of the year, we really need to close the gap on that, whatever that is, 4 point whatever percent, whatever it is. We need to close the gap. And so would you consider in your Christmas giving, um, some of you have taken the tithing challenge. That's how our income has increased. You know, some of you haven't. Some of you have already been doing it, whatever. But however you give, whenever you give, whatever you give, would you consider an extra gift to Kingwood this Christmas season? This weekend and next weekend, 
we will literally touch thousands upon thousands of people who've never, never heard uh, this play and some of whom may have never heard the gospel. Um, hundreds and hundreds don't have any home churches anywhere. So it, it's, it's an incredible outreach. But, but there are a lot of costs involved in the outreach we're doing. So would you consider helping us close that gap by the end of the year? Um, it'd be greatly appreciated. It would really help us launch into January in 2018 with some other plans that we have if we know we have the resources to do it. Uh, this week we're continuing our series we called uh, Simple Christmas. Uh, if you were here last week, you, you, you know how we kicked it off, and um, this week we're going to pick up there. How, how many of you, you might have to think for a minute, but how many of you can remember the worst Christmas present you ever received? How many of you, how many of you can ever remember? Oh, really, like six of you? All of you have all your dreams fulfilled every time you open a present. Yes? How many of you can remember the worst Christmas present? Yeah? You still, you still have that memory of a, well, I, I did a little research to find out what are some of the worst Christmas presents anybody's ever received? And, uh, and I made a list. These are, these are real things, actual stories. Some of you won't even understand the first one because um, you're too young. You won't even know what I'm talking about. But for those of you who do recognize it, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. So here's the first worst Christmas present anybody ever received, an encyclopedia. <laughs> now, 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 there's a lot of things I need to, uh, a couple things I need to say about that. One is, if you don't know what that is, that was Google before Google was Google, right? That's where you turn to find everything, and you can actually Google it, and it'll come up. But the second thing is, it wasn't, did you notice, a set of encyclopedias. It was one encyclopedia. How many of you remember encyclopedias, right? You remember, what did they pick? T-U-X. I don't know how they picked the letter, you know, that they gave away, but uh, somebody received an encyclopedia. And I guess over, you know, the next 20 years, they got another one or something until they caught up. All right, here's the second one. Uh, and again, some of you won't remember this. An AOL free internet trial disc. How many of you remember America Online? Come on, you remember America Online? And, and some of you don't even know what that is. That's like when the internet stunk, right? That's when it was terrible. And America Online would send these free discs out. And if you took it and put it in your computer, you know, you took it on the internet and you subscribed and all that. Somebody took that free disc, wrapped it up in Christmas paper, and gave it as a present. Can you believe that? Oh, great. They were like throwing them out of the back of trucks by then, I think. Number three, a re-gifted, partially used gift card. <laughs> That's painful. Like you go to the store, how much is on it? You know, $17.41. Whoa. That's an odd gift number. <laughs> yeah, because it's been used. Number four, coal gum. So you know the saying that if you're bad, Santa will put coal in your stocking? So somebody actually made gum that looks like coal. The problem is when you eat it, it turns your teeth black. <laughs> so maybe you may be better. Number five, this one is the most bizarre, a parakeet. <laughs> Merry Christmas. I think they live like 100 years or something crazy like that. Can you imagine getting a parakeet? Number six, a DVD. Now, 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 that might be a, like a really great idea sometimes, but most people don't know other people's movie choices well enough to know what to get them. It's like, oh, great, Gone with the Wind. You know, I've been hoping somebody would get that for me. You know, something that's been on Netflix for 100 years, but I guess that could be a good one. Seven, a frying pan. A frying pan. Not a set, one frying pan. I don't know what you do. It doesn't really match any of your other dishes. You know, it's my bacon pan. Number, number eight, this one needs a little explanation, molded cheese. Okay, 
But to be fair, it wasn't molded when they wrapped it. They're just an early shopper, and they wrapped it in October, and come Christmas, green. Number nine, I think I actually got this from somebody, an out-of-date calendar. You're like, why is Christmas on Wednesday? I don't know. You have an out-of-body experience for a year. You don't know what day it is ever. Number 10, a broom and dustpan. So I think the rule on this is never, 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 ever, never give a gift that's used for cleaning. I just think that's an FYI for those of you out there who might be thinking that. Just the thought of gift giving alone helps us remember where our stress comes from at Christmas. Let me give you a few other places. Um, getting, all, getting to all the Christmas parties, decorating, cooking, wrapping the gifts, buying a tree, traffic and long lines, having enough money to buy gifts, figuring out when to celebrate at both sides of the family, very complicated, discovering that all the stores are out of the one gift you've been looking for. And there's three words that strikes absolute fear in the heart of every parent. Some assembly required. Yes, I mean, you have to have a degree from NASA to put the thing together, you know. It's going to be up late, late, late. Christmas fashion, you know, how to get all the right colors. Gaining weight. Christmas programs. Untangling Christmas lights. Ah, it's terrible, isn't it? You're like, you know, $1.99 lights and it takes four hours. To, I don't know how that works. Christmas cards, cleaning the house, the forgotten gift. Oh, and that, that, that's terrible, isn't it? Way too late to order online. You're going to have to actually go get something. Feeling the pressure to make a memory. That is a lot. You know, it's Christmas. Maybe it's one of your children's last Christmas at home, or maybe, who knows. We feel this pressure to try to have meaningful experiences, and, and, and it could be a weight. Christmas travel schedule. Here's three more words that all parents hate. Batteries, not. Yes, why, why? Just include them and go up on the price. It's so much better. You can actually make money on it. Paying off Christmas debt. Now we're getting into January. Knowing the year's coming to a close and you didn't accomplish everything that you had hoped to this year. It's a, that's a heavy weight. Some people uh, are fearing spending Christmas alone. That's hard. Being part of a family that celebrates separately because of divorce, also painful. And some of you have lost loved ones, and either this will be your first Christmas without them, or maybe you lost them near the holidays, and every time you get close to the holidays again, you feel that, you feel that feeling. And so, boy, it doesn't take long for us to figure out why Christmas can be stressful and complicated, right? So what we did is we started this series called Simple Christmas just to try to talk about engaging in a different way. I heard a story of a little boy that was opening his Christmas presents on Christmas morning and he got finished with everything and was just sitting there looking around and his parents said, did you get everything you wanted for Christmas? And he stopped and thought for a minute and he said, no, but then again, it's not my birthday. Pretty good, isn't it? It's easy to forget the gift that God gave us at Christmas with all the other stuff going on. So that's why we've been talking about how do you have a simple Christmas. Now I promise in this series and next week and the next few weeks, we're going to keep it very simple. Um, 
It's going to be easy on your mind and good for your soul. So I, so I hope that you'll join us in these few weeks. Last week we talked about, if you were here, I'll remind you. If you weren't, we talked about how do you have a simple Christmas. Two, two simple thoughts. Do less, worship more. Do less, worship more. So he said, make space for God. Like you might have to not go to something, cancel something, do something different. Make space for God and, and then fill it with worship or time with him or something. And we talked about ways you could do that. You can listen to the podcast if you weren't here. Now, what wouldn't be obvious to you um, is all of the work that goes on at our church at a time like Scrooge. All the, you can't imagine the thousands of hours and all the conversations that have to... It just takes a lot more work than you would think. Uh, and so we create back channels of communication so that we can get information to each other quickly because we won't always get to see each other. Uh, as a staff, we do that. And, uh, and some of those back channels of communication that you, you wouldn't even know exist, sometimes uh, things happen in those that are interesting. And so last night was one of those nights. I, I happened to be here at 515 uh, as we were getting ready for the play. And I, I can't tell you the crowd. I've got a picture of it I want to show you. The crowd was already lining up out, outside. This was the picture I took at 515 last night. And we had people out that door, out that way, and beginning to turn around the corner at 515. So I took that picture, and I sent it to some of our staff through those back channels just to say, whoa, <laughs> we, we have a huge crowd building. You know, are we ready? Is there anything we can do? Man, get ready because they're here. I mean, we've got we've to do our best to, to welcome these guests and accommodate the crowd. And, so um, on that back channel, one of our staff answered uh, with this line, apparently Alabama isn't in the SEC championship game. <laughs> I won't say who, but that was one of our staff's answer that, you know, there's more Alabama fans maybe, so maybe that's why they're all here. And, and another unnamed staff replied with this answer, our fan base is doing less and worshiping more. Which just thrilled me because I thought, you know, for uh, someone to take my sermon that seriously, I thought that, because you know, it's not what you hear that changes you, it's what you apply that changes you. And to know that so many people were applying what I said was just encouraging. So today, on the outside chance that you might actually try to apply something that I'm going to say today, I've got two simple points again. Last week was do less and worship more. Today it is spend less and give more. Isaiah 55. Now, now before you say, you know in the south when something's about to happen, we say, we say fixing to, right? Fitting to. So before you say, you, you're not fitting to tell me to spend less on my kids Christmas and give it to the church, are you? No, Uncle Jesse, you can put the shotgun up. I got a whole nother, other point. Give me a chance. Isaiah 55 2. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy. Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest affair. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, not English. So when we read it in English, we don't always pick up the full nuances of all the words. So if you want to understand what a verse means or a word means, you have to go back in Hebrew and find the broader meaning. Now, I don't know any Hebrew, <laughs> But I know uh, resources where you can find these definitions. And if you look up this word, spend, 
in Hebrew, it means this, to thoroughly use up. Even in today in modern Israel, as it's used as the name of um, monetary currency, the shekel comes from the Hebrew word spend here that means to thoroughly use up. So Isaiah says to the people uh, of his time, why do you spend your life on things that will never bring... Why do you thoroughly use up your life on things that will never bring satisfaction? And that's a good question for us to ask at the Christmas season. Because every one of us has limited energy and limited time and limited money and talent and effort, and we often use it up on things that make no difference. That's what Isaiah was saying to the people of his time. Why waste so much on so little? So just two points this morning. If you're taking notes, the first one is spend less. Now that's the exact opposite of what we hear in our culture. Every time you go into the department store, you know, they've got the, the spend and shop a long time music going. Fill up the cart, stay a long time. You go on the website and you're shopping there and what happens? Have you noticed they have these algorithms that know what your hobbies and interests are and pop things up? Oh, that's not, oh, that's, if you're not careful, you're going to be on there a couple hours, you know, just looking at stuff that you want one day and it just, because they're coming for you. They're coming for you. Big Brother is coming for you, I guarantee you. All, the, all these pop-ups and ads. Our culture continually sends this message to us that the key to satisfaction is spending more. So we are told that to be happy, we have to live in a big house and have a new car and wear expensive clothes and go on extravagant vacations. And to, we have to have emotionally healthy children who you give them everything they want and you shield them from consequences and make sure they always win and when they don't, at least give them a trophy. And we are told to be accepted. We have to climb the social ladder and fit in the crowd and always look like a million dollars. And to be successful, we have to work all the time. We have to work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We've got to get ahead. We've got to press. We've got to work all the time. And we've got to step on whoever we need to step on to get to the place of success. And we've got to take every promotion that's offered to us. And we're told to be smart, we have to earn advanced degrees and have multiple titles and have constant recognition for what we've learned. And yet the reality is riches and luxury don't bring happiness. Children who are shielded from real life consequences end up emotionally bankrupt. One's personal value can never be earned or affirmed by social acceptance. Workaholics tend to die early and never enjoy what they earn. Because it's never enough. And the amount of education a person receives has nothing to do with their wisdom or their character or their value, especially if they spend the rest of their life paying off student loan debt. Come on, parents of some college kids, say amen right there. Right? Because it's high. It's going up. Maybe you've heard this before. Money will buy a bed but not sleep. It will buy books, but not brains. Food, but not appetite. Finery, but not beauty. A house, but not a home. Medicine, but not health. Amusement, but not happiness. Religion, but not salvation. And a passport to anywhere except heaven. Because money and spending has a limit. So spend less of yourself in the pursuit of that which does not satisfy what the Bible is telling us. Reject the temptation to exhaust yourself, to use yourself up on things that really don't work and really don't matter. Now, this morning, I want to, 
as, as part of this idea of spending less, I want to give you five quick tips on spending. Uh, probably something we usually don't think about, but boy, at Christmas it would be a great time to think about or rethink about spending and material goods and all that. This comes directly from Richard Foster's book, Celebration and Disciplines, which I highly recommend. He has a chapter on simplicity. He has ten of them. There were five that I thought were especially relevant for us today. Let me give you five quick tips for spending. Here's the first one. Buy things for their usefulness, not for their status. In other words, don't go for name brand, go for value. Go for what's going to last. Go for what's not going to deteriorate quickly. Go what's for not, not going to lose value uh, the quickest. The second one, reject anything that's producing an addiction in you. Reject anything that's producing an addiction in you. Food, fashion, fads, entertainment, chemicals, technology, social media, anything that is producing an addiction in you, uh, reject it. In a month, we're going to begin uh, 21 days of prayer and fasting as we do every January. And my encouragement to you when we enter that season is to fast the things that you may have become dependent upon. Things that have become too, too, too much a part of your life. Uh, the Bible says we're to be slave of nothing but the Holy Spirit. And so the things that tend to bring addiction or control over your life. So this last January when we fasted, I, I'm, I, I kind of went the way. I, I grew up in the South. So let, let me get that straight first. How many of you grew up in the South? How many, so, so most of good. Oh, you, you'll totally get this. What's our favorite drink in the South? Yes, sweet tea. Not just sweet tea. Log cabin pancake syrup level sweet tea. I'm talking about tea that will knock the enamel off your tea. We love sweet tea. I love sweet tea. I was raised on sweet tea. I love sweet tea. I crave sweet tea. I don't know if it's the caffeine or the sugar, or maybe yes is the answer. I, I, I love sweet tea. I crave it. And so when we got to the fast, I said, you know, look, I'm, this has been part of it. I, I, I remember when I was uh, about 14 once, I went up to New Jersey. I've never lived outside the South, but I've traveled. And I ordered tea, and, and the lady brought it in this little you know, urn thing with a little uh, tag outside with a little bag and a hot thing of water. And I went, what is this? He said, that's tea. I said, that's not tea. Not where I'm from. I don't know what you call this. Hot tea. And then I drank it, and it tasted like you know, water poured through cardboard. And I went, this has, this has no flavor. Where's the sugar? You don't know how to make tea up here. So last uh, January when we did our prayer and fasting, tea was one of the things I said, I'm not going to drink any tea during the fast as well as other things. Because, like, I drink a lot of tea, and there's a lot of sugar in it, there's a lot of calories in it, and the caffeine. And I don't, I don't want this to own me. I don't want to be owned by this. So I drank water. And when the fast was over, I just never went back. So all of 2017, I probably drank maybe two glasses of tea the whole year. And I want to encourage you, when you enter that season of fasting... You come and lay the things down that are, that are owning your life. And you say, Lord, for you and you alone, I sacrifice these things and I reject that which will become an addiction over my life. And you can do it. Here's, a, here's another thought. Uh, develop a habit of giving things away. The first year I was a youth pastor, I was sitting in a youth service and happened to be sitting uh, in, in the pew next to 
the pastor's son, who was maybe a little bit younger than me, not much, about my age. And we were sitting there, and I didn't know him hardly at all. I don't even remember why we were sitting next to each other. And he, and he looked at my feet. And I noticed he's looking at my feet. This is odd. He said, what size shoe you wear? And I thought, why would you ask somebody that? That's weird. Why you don't ask somebody what size shoe they wear? You don't know them? Oh, what, 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 what you want? I said, uh, about nine and a half. And I'm looking at him like, what, what, what's going on? He said, oh, good. I thought, why? Why is that good? He said, good. He said, uh, um, I want to give you my shoes. <laughs> I thought, okay. This has gone from bizarre to weird. I don't, I don't know what this means. Pete, strange people giving you gifts. I don't know what that means. He said, see, what happened is these shoes have become way too important to me. And um, I, I want to give them away because I can tell they're too big a deal. And if you can wear them, I'd love for you to have them. He gave them to me. And he walked home in socks after that service. And I've never forgot that. And you know where he got that from? His parents were missionaries in Guatemala. And they had learned to never allow material things to have a hold on their heart. So when anything began to become too important to them that was material, they'd give it away. And by giving it away, they broke the power of it over their life. And I've never forgot that moment. And I thought, wow, that's... I know a family that the way they celebrate Christmas is they only get their children presents that they think they really want. Like they don't get them any you know, fill-in or whatever. And on Christmas Day, the kids know this, they've done it every year, they open all their presents, and then comes the moment. What's the moment? The moment is when you have to pick which gift you're going to give away. And now there's the dilemma on Christmas Day of is this really about me or is it not about me? And you've got to wrestle with your feelings and attachment to things and say, am I going to take one of these gifts which one am I going to give away? And what's going to be my motive for giving it away? And they do it every year at Christmas. And I thought, wow, it's a pretty, pretty good idea, isn't it? So some of your kids are going to send me emails. They're going to be mad at me now. You... Uh, Forethought, enjoy things without owning them. When we own something, we feel in control. And we think it gives us more pleasure. So uh, particularly in the American culture, uh, our, our belief is... Um, the more control you have over something, the more joy you get from it. So have you ever borrowed something from someone that's really nice that you didn't have and you couldn't afford, and you were nervous the whole time you had it and you want to break it because you couldn't afford to replace it, couldn't afford your own, and then you give it back and go, whew, got away with that. And then you think, but one day I'll be able to afford my own. And you and I wrongly believe that somehow that will be a greater day of joy than the day that we had a friend who loved us enough to lend us their own. Wow. So learn to enjoy things that you don't own, and maybe one of the ways we can learn that is by owning less. Enjoy parks. <laughs> Get a book from the library. You don't have to own every book you read. There's, there's a lot of different ways you can do this. Things that you share among friends. Learn to enjoy those things for the value that's in them. All right, so here's the, the last thought. Reject buy now, pay later in every way you can. Most of us will never have the opportunity to buy a house without paying for it later. Right? Most of us will never have that opportunity. We have to buy it now, we have to pay for it later. Maybe even sometimes a car. But I just want to strongly encourage you with everything I have to the best of your ability 
avoid, reject, buy now and pay later because it always costs more. And Proverbs says that the debtor is slave to the lender. And we're not to be slave to anyone but the Holy Spirit. And so I just want to encourage you, do everything you can. Look, you can have the greatest Christmas ever and still pay for it till next July. And how many of you know in January, February, March, it's just not nearly as fun as it was on Christmas? And so I want to encourage you, because that thing grows fangs. I want to encourage you, do your best to push back. So spend less. Here's the second thought. Give more. Spend less, give more. Luke 6.38. Give and it will be given to you. That's the exact opposite of what our, te- our culture teaches us. Our culture says, spend and you will have more. Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, again, the, the New Testament's not written in Hebrew, it's written in Greek. So you have to go back to the Greek word. The Greek word here, forgive, means to give as a gift or to extend a blessing. And it's written in such a way that it's understood that the motive of the giver is good. The motive of the giver is pure. So extend a blessing to someone, give a gift to someone with a pure motive. And this same idea is attached to God in the way He gives to us. So the Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave with what kind of motive? A pure motive. He extended a blessing. He gave a gift to the whole world to me and you. And he did it with a... And so what what God invites you and I to do is to become like him. He wants us to become givers like he is a giver. And he wants our intention and our motives to be pure. So instead of spending away our limited resources, we can give away and we can look for a way to be a gift and to be a blessing. If spending is wasting precious resources on things that do not have eternal value, then giving is a way to invest resources in things that do have an eternal value. The only thing that I know on earth that has eternal value are people. You were created at a defined point in time, but you will not come to a point that you don't exist anymore. Your body might die, but your soul's not going to die. You are eternal. You live somewhere for eternity. And investing in a soul is investing in eternity and giving to something that will uh, always last. So Luke says, give and it will be given to you. Isn't it interesting, instead of spending and expending yourself, you can give and expect what you give that God will in some way or another give back to you. So think about it like this. To some degree, you are actually receiving what you've been giving. You are receiving the kind of life that you have been giving. Now, I'm not saying there aren't exceptions. I'm not saying there aren't other factors at play. I'm not saying that sometimes people who give the right things don't get the wrong things, and some people that give the wrong things don't get... Because I know people that got stuff way better than they deserve. And I know other people that have much worse than they deserve. But there is a principle of, uh, in here of sowing and reaping that generally people treat me the way I treat them. Generally people talk to me the way I talk to them. Generally people exude the same level of grace with me that I exude with them. If I come in with, with, with the law, live by the sword, die by the sword. 
then somebody's going to pound me with the law. But if I give someone grace and forgiveness, generally they're going to give me grace and forgiveness. Because what I give is generally what I receive. If you remember in the Old Testament, there's a story of Elijah, the prophet of God, who was sent to a widow's house. Who uh, She and her son were about to die. They had enough food for one meal. And so they were making the meal. And they were going to eat it and die. They'd given up all hope. And God sent Elijah to their house to renew their hope and renew their faith and, and to do a miracle that would, that would renew their hope and faith. And he sent, them to, he sent Elijah to their house. He, he shows up on the scene. And, and he begins to minister to them and speak the word of the Lord to them and say, no, no, this isn't the end. God's not done with you. And he says, in fact, you, you give this away and look, you go to the cupboard and when you go to the cupboard, there's going to be more there. And every time she went through this cycle, she would go back to the cupboard and there'd be more oil and there'd be more bread and there'd be more water and there'd be more because she entered into a supernatural cycle with God. And that's, the, that's what happens when we spend less and give more. Now here's what I love. So many of you are already doing that. How do I know that? Because 366 people have sacrificed and given. And some of you that are in the cast of Scrooge, you've already done seven nights in the last week between practice and dress rehearsal and all of that. And you're giving and you're investing I can't even tell you the, the thousands of hours, thousands, not hundreds, thousands of hours that have been given to touch and to reach this community. Now, here's why that excites me. That excites me because what this church gives, it will receive. When we give, when we plant seeds in this community, we will reap a harvest of disciples. We will reap a harvest of people's marriages who are being healed and families that are being restored and relationships that are being restored and people's lives that are coming back into alignment with the kingdom of God and the future, the future and destiny that God has for those people. When we invest those things, we receive those things back. And as a church... You are giving so much. Last night uh, at Scrooge, there was a lady who came, and um, she uh, was told she was gonna. Her doctor said to her, "You're very sick, and you don't have long to live." That's what the doctor told her. Now she's not healed, and she's not better. She's still struggling with her illness, but that was seven years ago. <laughs> And she's still alive. And let me tell you what she did last night. She brought 14 people from Montevallo with her to see the play. 14. And boy, they were from all walks of life. She had one that just got out of drug rehab. and I, mean, I can't even tell you all the stories. But she came up to one of our casts last night after the play and told her story and said... Hey, I just wanted you to know, here's what's happened to me. Here's what I've been going through. Here's what I did. 14 people came. 10 of those 14 people prayed to accept Jesus last night at the play. Is that incredible? It's incredible. She's not spending her life on things that don't matter. She's giving her life away. And you want to know why? I'll tell you why. 
Because the closer you and I get to the end, the clearer things become. All the things that we thought were important fade away when somebody says, you're not going to live long. You look at that and you say, what can I do with my life that will matter? You start to ask different questions and you find different answers. And that's what happened to her. We have a a lady in our church named uh, Pam um, Bauer. You may recognize the name as Conville. Six years ago, she came to the gospel according to Scrooge. She had never been in a church service before. She had um, never owned a Bible or read one. She was a teacher in the Hoover school system for 17 years. And she came with her sister to see this play and she went home that night and she said those people are crazy I'm just going to tell you something's wrong with those people they're crazy but it fascinated her so much she had to come back to church and find out why they were crazy and she came back to church and uh, in a a short time she found Jesus and Jesus changed her life and she became a whole new person In the last six years, she has endured incredible tragedies. She lost her adult son. Um, She has some physical uh, issues that have caught up with her. And she rides around most of the time in a wheelchair, an electric little chair. Um, And she said to me, and those of you who know her, she said to some of you with tears in her eyes, I don't know how people without Jesus go through the things that I've been through in the last few years. She said, but he's changed everything in my life, and I've, somehow I have hope. And, and here's what she told me this morning, she told me. Because I, well, I was talking to her, you know, about uh, different things, and she said, hey, she said, I want you to know, I'm going to be a greeter for Scrooge. She's going to come up in her chair and sit by the door and greet people. And she said, I'm also on the follow-up team. I'm going to call people. Uh, when they get saved, I'm going to call them and just tell them how glad we are about that. And she said, by the way, I want you to know, the other day I spent five hours in Walmart, and I said, Pam, haven't you gone through enough? <laughs> That's like purgatory. Five hours in Walmart? She said, yeah, yeah. But look, um, I was driving around in Walmart. I had the things I needed, but I just stayed in there for a while so I could invite people to Scrooge. And she said, I'm driving around, just gathering one here or there. She said, you know, it's rude to walk away from someone in a wheelchair. (laughs) She said, so I got them. You can spend or you can give. We all have to choose, don't we? Generosity is something that we believe in at Kingwood. Tonight, we're giving away a whole play. Giving away all of that and how much ever that cost and how how much ever it cost. We got families in the play and key parts that have had incredible sicknesses and issues that just, you know, took their pain medicine and come on and performed anyway. The sacrifice that people make is just inspiring. 
It's incredible. And, and we just, just give the whole thing away. We don't charge admission. Just give the whole thing away. Because we believe in a different kingdom and a different principle. Tonight, we'll take a big offering. I hope it's the biggest we've ever taken. And you know what we're going to do with it? We're going to give it all away. We don't keep any of the offering that we take at Scrooge for this play or any of that. We give it all away. Give it all away. This is a church that believes in, in generosity. And I'm so, I'm so grateful for that. I want you to stand with me this morning and as we pray. I want to extend that thought. I want to ask our prayer team if you'd come. This morning, if you need prayer, I'm not going to make it specific. It doesn't really matter. If you need prayer, our prayer team is going to gather right here. And at any point, you come for prayer. It really is the heart of our church that we can pray for you and encourage you and strengthen you somehow. It really is, it really is what we want to do. If you have a need of any kind, physical, financial, relational, whatever, when we begin to pray, you just come. And we've got some of the most encouraging people right here that'll just pray for you and encourage you. And you'll feel better and you'll get stronger and you'll be better off when you leave, I promise you. But if you, if you don't have a need that you're going to come pray for, can I ask you to give something away this morning? Here's what I'd like for you to give away. Would you give away this prayer time? Would you focus just for a couple of minutes? Would you focus, would you give a focused prayer to this play, to this outreach, to people maybe that you've invited? Would you just call their name out fresh this morning and just ask Jesus if he would change their life? You know the reason that Pam's riding around in a little wheelchair giving invitations away? Because she remembers what it feels like to be lost. She remembers what it feels like to be on the outside and have no hope and not know. She remembers. Do you remember? you remember what that felt like? So this morning, would you just give your prayer away? That's all. If you have a need, we want to pray for you. But if you don't, would you give your prayer away? Pray with me now this morning. Let's take, let's take two or three minutes and let's just really pray. Just, just pray. Just begin to call the names of those out loud that you've, be, that you've invited. Lord, tonight we thank you. Today we thank you for the grace of God. We thank you for the work that you're doing in this city, in this church, in this place. Lord, we ask you for a revelation of Jesus. Lord, not for a revelation of Christian culture or Christian fad or anything like that but a revelation of Jesus, that our eyes would be open, the eyes of the city would be open to the, to the founder, to the leader, to the center, to the one that it's all about, that our eyes would be open to Jesus. Lord, we pray that as people come to this campus tonight and next weekend, they would have an encounter with you. Lord, that your presence would be felt and known and the truth would hit their heart in a way that would open their eyes. Lord, we ask you this morning that you would provide divine appointments. 
as we go out and invite, as we invite, Lord, we pray that you would open doors of invitation and opportunity and supernaturally arrange schedules where people can get here. Lord, I pray that you would build bridges of conversation and open minds and open hearts that have been closed before. Lord, we call out the names of those that we've been inviting and we pray today that you would do a special work of grace in them. Lord, we ask you that you would anoint the cast, anoint the crew, anoint those that are working behind the scenes, anoint those that are working in the in sound and lighting. And Lord, anoint the, the parking greeters and the welcome team and those serving and hospitality. Lord, may your, may your presence be on them. And Lord, those that are following up this Tuesday, may your presence be on them. Lord, I pray that you would extend the presence of God through this church into this city. Lord, we ask you that you would remove all distraction and all hindrances and all plans the enemy has. And every person who comes to see the play, every dark thought the enemy wants to put in their mind, Lord, we pray that you would shine a light in their mind and let a revelation of Jesus drive out the dark thoughts. Lord, we pray the light of Jesus would just shine. God, may your work be done. May your work be done. May lives be changed for eternity.